you came. Yay. Look at you in the Tulsa blizzard and all. You made it. So impressed. We're so glad to be with you this morning. This is, we're in the middle of marriage seminar season, and we've had something almost every week. We were in Colorado Springs with our friends at Antioch Church last, last weekend, and it, they kind of know how to snow up there. A uh, little bit more than what we got here, but they actually know what to do with it and uh, know how to get rid of it really fast. Um, we were with our friends at Quest Church uh, yesterday and Friday night, and, but there's something about walking in here. We love being at Sanctuary. Um, if you're with us here for the very first time, um, welcome to a snow day and welcome to Sanctuary. This is the Sanctuary in Sanctuary. Why do we call ourselves sanctuary? Well, about eight years ago, when we blended two bodies together, we felt like that this was the right name. We felt like that this name embodied who we were to be in the body of Christ, what God desired for us as a family to be, a place that was safe, a place of refuge, a place of protection. And we hope we can be that. And... You know, a place that where you can come as you are, that you can come just as you are, not trying to be fixed up and trying to present a certain way, that you can come with questions, that you can come searching, that you can even come wounded. We all have had some bruising in our life, some dings in the armor, I say, some stuff that's happened to us in our life that, that has caused us to limp a little bit. We want you to be able to come with all of that. We want this to be an environment where we can collect ourselves and encourage each other. Not to stay wounded, not to stay broken, um, but to find a place of healing. Find a place of restoration, find a place of new life, new beginnings. Ordinary people that are all just joining our hearts together um, so that we can be about the work of the kingdom and find a place um, and what he's doing in the world. And how do we find uh, what he's doing here? And then how do we join up with that? And so that's what sanctuary is all about. Um, and that's what we're endeavoring to do as a body here. We want healing. Am I on? Yes. Yes, in our individual lives and in all of our lives. And you know, the funny thing about healing is you don't just get done. It's not, okay, I'm healed and I can go on. We continue to have times of healing and times where life just happens. And you feel like, I think I'm pretty well healed. And then life happens. And the Lord brings something up that needs more healing. And we see the need to draw closer to others and to have that support. And we need more healing. It's part of life. When we're a sanctuary, when we all choose to be a sanctuary in God, we will draw people who are wounded. We'll draw people who need that healing. And wounded doesn't necessarily mean that they were raised in an abusive home or that they went through a horrific divorce or somebody was killed in a car accident or a, sh a shooting. Some of our people, some of us, are here because we've been wounded by church. We've been wounded by spiritual places around us. Now, they aren't bad people. You know, spiritual places, churches don't intend to wound anyone. But oftentimes there's a climate that's set up where people preach Jesus and they preach healing 
but that's not how they walk it out. It's walked out in a different way. I think about the, you guys have probably seen this on a pillow or on a plaque that says, just remember, as far as anyone knows, we are a nice, normal family. <laughs> I always say I'm going to get that for all of my kids. Mm -hmm. But it kind of reminds me of the alcoholic or children of alcoholic or grandchildren of alcoholic um, phrase of at least look good. We may have all kinds of chaos going on in the home or going on in our own lives, but we always have to present well. Nobody's supposed to know that we have something going on. Way back when, it will be 20 years in July when we started the church, our heart was to pull people together to love Jesus, to establish a healthy, accepting environment so that people can grow and thrive in him and so that they could go and bring healing to others. It's not just about staying here. It's about going out. And as we've seen over the years, you are very good going out, people. You love to reach out yeah. to people. If we have an outreach event, we have more than enough volunteers. If we have a project that we want you to be involved with, it's taking backpacks or food or whatever, you respond incredibly. In fact, when I think about sanctuary, I think about the verse that says, freely you have received, now freely give. You are good givers and good at reaching out. And as changes have come over the years, Sanctuary's heart has always remained the same. One of the things that I love about Sanctuary that's drawn us together is it's never about fulfilling one person's call. We're not all going for this particular person's vision, but it's equipping all of us to fulfill the, God, the call that God has on our lives and finding where our place is in the kingdom of God and how we can move the kingdom of God for, forward. I get thinking about the verse that we've had printed on t-shirts before from Micah 6, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. To me, that's sanctuary. That's the people that we are. I'm going to have you turn to 1 Kings 14, 7 through 9. Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, but you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with his whole heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Lord, may that never be said of me. <laughs> if you continue watching in the Old Testament after David has died, you will see prophets' words over and over again that refer to David as a man who followed God's commandments and followed him with all his heart, doing only what is right in God's eyes. Yet isn't this the same David that we read about that got a woman called Bathsheba pregnant who wasn't his wife? And then kind of worked it out for uh, her husband to get killed on the front lines. Isn't this that same David? A man after God's own heart? Can you imagine what would happen today if this happened to one of our leaders? They would be banished immediately 
um, to the outer places of, of, of the world, away from all Christendom and all decent people. We'd get rid of, rid of them really quickly. Yet God is giving us some insight into how he sees us through kingdom standards. Yes, David made some major uh, mess-ups and, and had some significant flaws. Yet there was something about David where he kept turning his heart back towards God. Jeroboam here says that he chose um, idols. He turned his heart away from God by making himself gods and idols of metal. And even though David made some uh, major uh, missteps, David is remembered as the one who did what is right in God's eyes. Jeroboam is remembered as the one who did more evil than all who lived before him. So the kingdom of God is not for those who live a perfect life, can't we say? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Um, the kingdom of God is rather for those who have shifted their hearts and their lives towards things of God, towards kingdom uh, principles. It's not about perfect behavior. It's about consistently staying connected with the Father. Do we stay connected to the Father, and do we help others stay connected? The question today is the way that we interact with others is it helping them stay connected to God? Or are we doing some other things in those relationships uh, that might hinder that? I think in some churches or in some places, or I should say some people, um, kind of have taken on the role of behavior police. I'm going to see what you are doing and make sure you're doing it right. And I think in many situations, God has been misrepresented to people by God's people. They've missed that God's heart towards people is really good. And that sometimes when we do the judging and we try to do the parenting, we are actually keeping people away from God or turning people away from God. Many years ago, when one of my girls was in middle school, she was um, going to a state competition. I can't remember whether it was history or science or whatever it was, but she was going to a state competition with several other kids in her school and their parents. And so we got to the competition, I came a little bit later, and I noticed this mother kept saying to my child, get your coat on, get your coat on, where's your project? Okay, you need to get that over there. Okay, it's too cold for you, you need to have a sweater on, put, put your plate up over here. And was following her around, telling her what to do. Now, you have to know, because we had four kids and we we're very busy, we raised our kids to be very independent. So by the time they were in middle school, they were doing their own laundry. They were responsible for where their backpack was. They were responsible for their homework. Um, if they needed a permission slip signed or they needed something from school, they came to us. We didn't follow around them going, did, did you study for your math test? Well, what about this? Did you do this? We allowed them to learn from natural consequences. So if you don't pack your basketball uniform in your backpack on a game day, you're probably going to sit on the bench. If you don't wash your clothes, then when you get up in the morning, you're probably going to have to wear dirty clothes to school. And I don't think we were mean. We weren't mean, were we? I don't know. I don't think we were mean. <laughs> we're needing some validation. Okay. Yes, yeah, please. Fortunately, 
none of our children are here this morning. Um, <laughs> but the more I saw this person trying to parent my child, the more irritated I got. It's like, she has a mother, you know. So I decided I would step over there and just be a little bit more involved in the action. Because I thought, surely, if I'm there, she's going to leave my poor child alone and let her do what she's doing. Well, instead, she started parenting me. <laughs> you need to go get a sweater. Did you bring a sweater with you? Well, you need to get one. These buildings are cold. Come over here. Sit here. And so we immediately became best friends. <laughs> no, not at all. What happened is it made me want to stay away from her. And when I saw her coming, to go the other direction. Because when we feel like we're being hovered over, when we feel like we're being watched or we're being judged, we're going to pull away. And that's ha what happens many times when we're so well-meaning with people and we want to tell them what they really need to do. But it draws them or pushes them away from God because they feel judged and they feel condemned. I think a lot of it is because we don't trust God and the Holy Spirit to do what he does. We think I'm the one that needs to tell them. Yes, God may be speaking to them, but I got to make sure that they really get it. And oftentimes that's causing people to go the other direction. Interesting Barna study. It shows currently just 16% of non-Christians in their late teens and 20s say they have a good impression of Christianity. Among young non-Christians, nine out of the top 12 perceptions were negative. Common negative perceptions include that present-day Christianity is 87% said judgmental, 85% hypocritical, 78% old-fashioned, and 75% too involved in politics. Christians have, in many cases, been the biggest influence in causing people to disconnect from God and not pursue him. People read Christians, not the Bible. Billy Graham's daughter, it's interesting, reported one time she was quoted, uh, the Graham family was actually at a uh, rally for Bill Clinton several years ago after his scandal just hit. And Mr. Graham was asked by a reporter, why are you supporting this man after all he has done to this country? Graham's response was, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. God's job is to judge, which if you understand judgment, very similar conviction, and my job to love. It's so easy for us to say that we love all people. But do our actions show that? How are we actually interacting with others? Um, is that how it communicates? What's our action saying to those that, that uh, vote differently than we do, have different political views? For those that are dis disillusioned with God and are sarcastic about the church? For those who smoke marijuana to deal with their anxiety? Or dealing with sexual orientation that we just simply don't understand? Uh, or living with somebody and foregoing marriage uh, because they just have lost faith? Um, in the institution of marriage, what are we doing with them? How are we interacting with them? How do we treat them? I learned a long time ago that I could tell those around me that I loved them 
constantly. Whether it's my wife, my kids, family, those are important to me. Um, but it really came down to what do I do for them? How do I interact with them? What is my action? Um, are our actions helping to put people's hands into the hands of God? Uh, or are our actions causing them to pull away? Every day in our counseling office, we've got people dealing with all kinds of stuff, all kinds of behaviors that are problematic in their life. Um, you know, whether it's um, conflict or whether it's anger, whether it's uh, deception in their life, whether um, uh, needs that are going uh, unmet in their life, they choose counterfeits to try to choose. It's just on and on and on. Is it more important to get their behavior fixed or to help them reconnect with God? I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we would say we want to get their behavior correct. Because it's hard sometimes to be around people that are in sin or that are messing up something in their life. I think we're uncomfortable with messiness. We want things clean and neat. We want a specific answer. And I think we're uncomfortable with, with process. It's supposed to be you do this and then things are okay. But life is process. Life is a little, just a lot, little by little. And I think there's part of us that are afraid if we're with those people, it will reflect badly on us. People will think that we're okay with sin. People will think that we're just people that go, oh, yeah, anything goes. And so we tend to withdraw from people that don't look quite like we really would like them to look. Those of you who have been around very long know that I came to the Lord um, through the Jesus movement and through Campus Life. And I didn't have a religious background at all. I mean, very little. We went on uh, we went to church on Christmas and Easter, and I didn't know a lot of what was going on. Um, but when I came and I got involved in campus life and I found people that loved the Lord and they accepted me, I just wanted to be a part of this group. I just loved it. It's like I, I was thriving be a part, being a part of them. So I remember one day there were a group of us, and we were over at somebody's house, and we were making posters for the event that we were having the next week. And we finished early, and some of the kids said, you know what, we're done so early, let's go to the mall. And I was like, yeah. And one of the boys who had come from a really strict background said, I'm not going unless Janice change, changes clothes. Well, at that particular time, I wore very short cutoffs. Those of you who are my age, you will remember we took Levi's and we cut them off. And then the more you wore them, the more they frayed and they just got shorter and shorter and shorter. Well, fortunately, my other friends said to him, then don't go. We're going with Janice. I wondered what would happen if my friends had had a different response at that point. From him, I felt like I was a heathen. I wasn't accepted. From everybody else, they loved me for just who I was. Now, I will tell you, I do not wear short shorts today. <laughs> and that is just right on so many levels. I just can't even begin to tell you. But as I grew in my relationship with God, and as I felt the acceptance of others, 
Not only did the Holy Spirit convict me of some things, but I had a good enough relationship and felt so valued by people that I could ask them questions. I could say, what do you think? Is that wrong? And I remember one of my really sweet leaders at that point just said, you know what? I don't think you're conveying the message that you really want to convey to people around you. And that was enough. No rejection, love. And that gave them permission to speak into my life. For the next few minutes that we have left, we want to just talk about um, what are some practical ways to love others in the midst of their real circumstance. How do we live sanctuary? Uh, we're going to hit these really fast. There are seven of them. Just know we whittled it down from 20. Um, <laughs> the first one is unwavering commitment. How do we commit ourselves to people's lives regardless of what's happening? So often we commit to a person in the beginning and we hope that they're going to get all fixed up and we're going to get them all clean and they're going to look good pretty quick and they, it just doesn't happen as fast as we'd like it to. And then we slowly start disconnecting. How do we stand faithfully with people and be patient with them who need time to, to explore and ask questions and work through this journey? Your presence is powerful. Your presence in their life is powerful. The whole idea of this Christian story is that the Spirit lives in us. And if you stay present with somebody, the Spirit is present in you and you are present with them, even if they don't get it, even if they're not reaching out to God, even if they're not looking to Him, they are in the presence of God because you are present with them. So how do we not get discouraged? How do we not um, get embarrassed or offended? How do we stay present in people's lives? Remember God's patience with us. I don't know about you, but he's been really patient with me in many areas. Are we being the same way with others? The second, be bold. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul's saying, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like under the law, though I, I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, uh, under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. Paul has to be so particular. <laughs> Make sure we know exactly what he's saying here. Um, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Paul was walking in the footsteps of Jesus. The number one criticism of Jesus is you were hanging out, you're hanging out with the wrong people. And it came from the religious leaders. You're with the sinners and the tax collectors and you're in the bars and you're in the, all the wrong places. Paul was following in, in, in that flip. Are we willing to take the risk? Number three, change your focus. And pay attention. Are we listening? Uh, many years ago in one of our previous elections, I had a, a, a church member, a family member here, come up to me after a service. And they were literally frothing at the mouth. I mean, they just, you could, I thought they were going to have a heart attack. Um, they had just found out that one of their friends 
was going to vote for the other party. And they like, they were, they just literally were, they were shaking. I, I can't, I can't believe they're doing this. They must, they must believe in abortion. How could a Christian believe in abortion? And I said, have you asked them why they're voting that way? And of course they hadn't. I happened to know that the person they were talking about um, did not believe in abortion. They just happened to believe that abortion was more tied closely to, to poverty than anything else. And they just happened to think that that um, party might help reduce poverty in better ways, that that would be the best way to decrease abortion. But because they never asked and they never found out, their attitude stayed the same. If we don't listen, if we don't get in people's lives and listen, where are you coming from? Talk to me about this. Um, we have an attitude that begins to stay in judgment, to keep people at bay, um, and we assume certain things and assume certain interpretations of people's choices and behaviors. So um, are we making the right choices in what we think and how we interact with people? Number four, we are not the judge. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Whatever the issue, love should lead. Leave the judging to God, the convicting to the Holy Spirit, and let's lead with love. Doesn't mean we're condoning sin. It doesn't mean we're agreeing with certain ways that people are living or what they're doing. But we're choosing to love that person and to let the Holy Spirit do the work. Number five, take an inquisitive approach to people. One of the ways that we have to love one another is by listening to them, to finding out who they are. You know, it's hard because as Christians, a lot of people around us think we should know all the answers to everything. And as leaders, it's like, well, you better know all the answers to everything. You know what? We're not going to. God's ways are above our ways. And so oftentimes we don't know the answer to everything. And when we present ourselves that we do, do you know how other people see that? They see it as arrogance. And it actually repels people. So we can love people best by getting to know them. By asking, who are you? Tell me about yourself. And anytime you have that, ten that tendency to say, don't you think if you keep doing that, it's going to cause you problems in the long run? Or don't you think God is really concerned about what you're doing? We stop and we say, tell me about yourself. And then as they share, we're careful in how we respond. We respond with love and compassion. And we're patient. As Brent said, we're willing to stay in the process even if people don't change as fast as we want them to. And parents of adult children, we have to speak this to parents all the time. God loves your child more than you do. He is pursuing them all the time. We have to love them, and we have to sit with them in the process, even if they're not changing as fast as we think they should. Our job is to show them love. Six is trust God's timetable. 
John 13, 33 says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love doesn't dismiss bad behavior or even outright falsehood, but love actively, concretely seeks what is best for the other. Striking that fine balance, I know, is oftentimes difficult, but it can only come if we're convinced that we are free, we've been released to love freely, why God is doing stuff on his own timetable in that person's life. Again, we are, we are free to love knowing that he is at work in the midst. Um, Thomas Merton says it this way, um, for those, the person who embraces God's vision in this way, it says, he stands receptive before the world. He no longer grabs, but caresses. He no longer bites, but kisses. Number seven, you are not the solution. The answer in our life is relationship with Jesus. That's where we get what we need. But sometimes if we stand and judge someone else on one little issue, we're separating them from God. I, I think back on my days and I think, really? If they had all rejected me for wearing short shorts, would I have turned away from God? And you know, I think I might have. Because I was at a very fragile place at that time. And I had found people who loved me and adored me just the way I was. And if they had rejected me, it would have made me really question this whole Jesus thing and turn away. In the book, God in the Flesh, Don Everett's comments on Jesus' last conversation with the Apostle Paul. After breakfast, Jesus has a question for Peter. Only one question. I probably would have asked Peter if he was going to deny me again. Or if he was feeling drowsy. He can be pretty sarcastic. If I were Jesus and were about to hand Peter the authority to start and lead my church on earth, I would want to know if he was going to be more stable more strong, more consistent. But no, Jesus has only one question for Peter, a simple one. Do you love me? Do you love me? He asks three times, and three times Peter says that he does, and three times Jesus calls to him, feed my sheep. Peter's new role and authority, Jesus asserts, do not rest on his strength and consistency and oaths, but on his love for Jesus. Jesus wanted Peter to remember that it was, that's what it was really all about. And I think he did. Jesus was reminding Peter that instead of relying on his strong characteristics that could very well have done an adequate job in creating and leading God's will for what the church was meant to be, Peter was to refocus his efforts back to the point of origin where the journey began in a love for and reliance on a belief in God that God will do what he has so promised. Peter's mission, as is ours today, carries more weight and is filled with more love in God's eyes than we will ever be able to grasp. Therefore, the only way to faithfully carry out such a heavy calling is to place it back on the creator who commissioned such a work 
by reminding ourselves we're not the solution to a person's salvation or anything else. We crown the king in his rightful place as the center of each person's relationship. So back in our reference to the counseling office that we see on a daily basis, um, all of us here at Sanctuary, and I've seen as I've gotten to know people over the years as people have been drawn here, all of us have some of these very same issues. Uh, they all come in different forms and fashions. And I have seen this community be able to embrace people, to be able to accept them as they are, to continue to be present with them, even when they're still early in their process, um, and to be able to allow for transformation to take place, not to jump to short-term shame as an influence and a manipulation. You know, the challenge with shame is because we've all been shamed in our life from well-meaning people um, to try to get us to manipulate or change our behavior for the moment. That's why we're so prone to shaming others because we think if we can make people feel bad enough, then they'll not do this or they'll change this. It doesn't work. It will, it will, it will work for the, a moment in short term, but it doesn't work long term. And I've seen people in our community here resist that and be able to continue to stay present and allow the working of God in people's lives. We see testimony after testimony of people that have come into new life and transformation and new beginnings. It's what sanctuary is all about. So we're called to, where this is called too many trips in the last three weeks. <laughs> we're, we're called by God to be different, by loving in a different way, by choosing humility over hostility, by braving the unknown when we'd rather huddle in an enclave with just the people that are like us, by daring to face some people that we have offended and that have offended us, and inviting them into a reconciled relationship with God and with one another. Second Corinthians says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassador, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We love you. We love sanctuary and what sanctuary is all about. And so final, final words. So in living sanctuary, let's build bridges informed by the scriptures and empowered by the spirit. Let's allow a just God to be the judge of his creation. Let's let the Holy Spirit whisper truth into each person's heart and let us show love unconditional, unconditionally, tangibly, and measurably. Lord, we trust you for this day, for these that are present here, those that might even be watching this morning because of the snow. Lord, we thank you for a body where we can stand with each other, with our real selves, all looking heavenward, all looking towards you, looking towards the kingdom, wanting to be about bringing um, heaven to earth. Lord, let that be 
our mantra here. Let that be who we are as a people. Let us remain to be a safe place, a loving place, a nurturing place, uh, a place that points others um, towards you by the way that, that we love them. Empower us to do that. Lord, thank you that you get why that's hard for us, that we are limited in our understanding and our perspective, even sometimes our love for others uh, we get overzealous sometimes and even misguided in trying to direct it in our own way. Lord, we trust the power and the presence of your spirit to guide and direct each step. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.